Hey, Ron and Don Nation. It is Ron here. This is not a regular episode of the Ron and Don Show. In fact, I'm taking over the podcast feed uh, in hopes of helping some folks. Because if you're like me, uh, you try to keep up on the news, and you've been seeing a lot of stories lately about a looming recession here in the United States. Now, that freaked me out a little bit because in the 2008 Great Recession, I got kicked in the gut pretty hard. Uh, and I know a lot worse than other people. I was very fortunate in a lot of ways, but it, it impacted my 401k, uh, a lot. Also the housing situation I was in at the time got impacted a lot. It really disrupted my life. And so when I started seeing headlines pop up again in news stories, like 70% or over 70% of uh, all economists are saying we are headed for a recession that got my attention. I was like, Holy cow, what is going on? And then I thought, you know what? I really don't know exactly what this means. I don't know exactly how a recession works. And so now that I'm working for a Windermere, we have a full-time economist on staff here in the Pacific Northwest. It's the only real estate company here locally and maybe even a lot uh, bigger region than that that has a chief economist. And so I called him up. His name is Matthew Gardner. He works right in downtown Seattle. I said, hey, Matthew, can I come over and interview you? You tell me the basics of a recession, what you think this one is going to look like, uh, and especially what's it going to do to the Pacific Northwest? And then more specifically, what's it going to do to housing in the Pacific Northwest? And so that's what this uh, session is here in the podcast feed. Uh, and if you want more information on Matthew, I put that in the show notes. As always, you can get us, Ron and Don, at ronanddon.com. So without further ado, here's the chief economist uh, for Windermere Real Estate. His name is Matthew Gardner. Hey, it's Ron Upshaw here with Matthew Gardner. He's the chief economist from uh, Windermere Real Estate, and he's also a Brit, so you're going to love his accent. And so, Matthew, I wanted to start off macro with uh, these recession stories we've been seeing, and then dial it back in here to, to real estate, because that's your, really your forte. So when you see a headline like this, more than 70% of economists think the U.S. recession will strike by the end of next year, what goes through your mind first? They're right. Uh, and I said, so I've got to go back a little bit, uh, go back about 12, 14 months. I actually said back then in forecast speeches, yes, you know, I expect to see a recession by the end of 2020. Some are still saying 21, but I said 2020. Um, most economists, most people kind of laughed at me. No way. Now, they're essentially all agreeing with me. So is it going to happen? Yeah, I mean, certainly we're hearing a lot more about it in the last few months for lots of reasons I'm sure that we'll talk about. Are we going to see a slowdown? Are we going to see a, quote, recession? Yeah, we will. And so can, can I, can we dial back as, talk to me like I'm in the second grade. I'm not the smartest guy in the world. Okay. And I think most people, they have this fear associated with that word. Mm-hmm. What, let's define the terms a little bit. When you say, when an economist says recession, right. what's the actual phenomenon that he or she is speaking of? Okay. By definition, by federal definition, what is a recession? A recession is when the U.S. economy contracts for two consecutive quarters. Okay. So when we see negative growth, and growth is defined as, as GDP. GDP, gross domestic product, mm-hmm. is the value of goods and services we create as a nation. So when we're growing, obviously it's expanding. We'll see 2 3% GDP growth. Right now we're running about 2%. When we contract, when, when we slow down, when that number turns negative, again, for two quarters, by definition, that is a technical recession. 
Okay, and so what are the forces at play? Like if we're looking at the, the whole thing, big picture, mm. or maybe even think of it as like a football analogy, what are the teams? Who's, who, which forces are pulling and which forces are pushing okay. on this thing? Well, when you talk about the U.S. economy, 70% of the U.S. economy is consumption. It's us buying things. Okay. And we really rely on consumer spending, but to the greatest part. So that is a very, very major component of our growth as a nation. So we separate growth between goods and services. Mm -hmm. Goods are stuff. Services are are professional aspects. So uh, software engineering, that kind of thing. When you see a slowdown, I mean, this country has had 47 recessions in its history since 1776. Uh, It's going to have 47 more. But to your point, we get worried. You mentioned the R word. Everyone gets panic-stricken, which is kind of redundant given the fact we've had so many recessions. Why do we feel that way? Well, you have to look back to 2008 and 2009, Mm -hmm. the Great Recession, the second deepest contraction uh, in modern history since the Great Depression. And so even though that was 10 years ago, it is still fresh in a lot of our minds. Why? Because it hit all of us. How did it hit all of us? Because what caused the recession in the first place? Housing. Mm -hmm. And housing affects obviously a huge component of the country. So we remember that. Even though it was so long ago, it's still very fresh in our minds. Take a bit of the edge off, however, even though I believe, as many do, we will see a contraction, it will look nothing like the last recession. It's going to be a very kind of boring stock recession. Historically speaking, we have recessions about every five years. Right now, we are 10 years into an expansion. Heck of a long time. Yeah. So quite frankly, we're due. So when you're looking at that thermometer, does it go recession Great Recession, Depression? Is that the yeah, vernacular? Very much so, yeah. Uh, I mean, we've had obviously several, recession, uh, several recessions in the last kind of 40, 50 years. Um, some have been very modest. The 80s, we saw two almost back-to-back ones. Then we had the recession in the 90s, the early 2000 dot-com recession, and the housing recession uh, of 2008 and 2009. They happened. The last one, again, was very, very hard. The next one... Not be, it won't be so hard at all. Businesses and economic growth really works in cycles. It kind of looks like a sine curve. For those of you who aren't aware of math, signs when you kind of go up and down, so we expand and then we contract and expand and contract. That's good. We're right now getting on the apex of that contractionary period. It will happen, likely, again, I believe by the end of next year. Quite frankly, nothing too much to worry about. Um, so we've had a lot of recessions before. We will have a lot of recessions going forward. How do economists, and again, I'm talking with Matthew Gardner. He's the chief economist for Windermere Real Estate. How, do you, how does your lot think about what seems to be an acceleration? There's, there seems to be more whipsawing right now with the presidential tweets or with China. You hear something, a tariff that happens. And as a layperson, I'm just kind of going, I don't really know what that means. Right. But there seems to be an over, overly dramatic swing. Or am I reading that wrong? Oh, no, you're, you're not. Um, and it's interesting because recessions don't, quite frankly, they don't just happen. Um, there's got to be an exogenous, um, an outside shock that, that creates in the first place. 80s was energy. Uh, S&P 90s, uh, .com 2000s, housing 2008. So the question is now, what is that shock going to be? And that's what economists are looking for. Back to your point on tweets. Certainly, uh, I think that the trade war we're in right now with China could quite likely cause the next recession to occur. Uh, Are they going to meet again? Certainly, the administration here is going to meet with uh, President Xi Jinping's group in October I don't think anything's, anything's going to come from it. 
It's a big thing, certainly for the administration. But here's the problem with it. China is patient, mm. remarkably patient. And we're in a staring match with them. Who's going to blink first? I will argue we will blink first. And here's why. We work in four-year increments between election cycles, obviously. China doesn't. Right. President Xi is now president for life. So, uh, and the analogy I, I always use is the first ever trade war that happened in, in the planet was between China and Russia in the early 1700s. They got it fixed after 200 years. <laughs> so it takes quite some time. So uh, again, we look at what's going on with the administration, big concerns there. Why? Because uh, businesses like some kind of predictability, some kind of certainty. Unfortunately, in my opinion, that is what we don't have. Right now, we're, we're, we're working between tweets. Right. And that's very hard for any company. Any company is thinking about in, investing in their companies, in machinery and personnel. They'd like some kind of predictability. And that's what we're not getting right now. How rare is it for seven out of ten economists to publicly state about a U.S. recession. You, you all seem like a reserved lot. Yes. I mean, they don't call economics a dismal science for nothing. Uh, and the, uh, the classic old economics joke is economists have forecast seven out of the last five recessions. Right. And so... Um, is it, that it, rare to see this sort of... Yeah, it, it is. And again, very few people came out with me a year or so ago. Um, my dear friend Diane Olick, who is the chief economist of Grant Thornton, she came out with a paper a couple of months ago, and she's actually said, yeah, I, I kind of really do expect Q2 of next year. Uh, we'll see a contraction in Q, uh, second and third quarters and then growth again in Q4. So she's, been, she's pretty much out there. So her and I, to a degree, on a, on a limb. But when you start hearing a lot of these other folks out there saying 2020, maybe 2021, I think the more bullish ones are, uh, are going out that far, uh, we're all looking at the same indicators. And so, because, again, if, as economists, we tend to look at uh, a set number, a set group of numbers in terms of, of what, what will potentially be the, uh, the canary in the coal mine. So as a layperson, we should look at this 70% and go, I should pay attention now because this is an extraordinary event. It's not extraordinary. It, it is just a business cycle slowdown. I think it's going to be very easy. Extraordinary for, that so many people oh, are saying so many people it together. agree with it. No, I, I think, Ron, you're absolutely right. It, yeah. it's, uh, when we tend to agree most of the time, we're going to be right. Because uh, you get 10 economists in the room, you probably won't agree on what no, share to sit on. you get 15 different opinions. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, so, no, I think in that respect, yes. Uh, okay. It's something which most people are now suggesting, because of the different things that we look at, uh, that is more than likely sometimes, again, those will say, a lot say next year, um, some say 2021. You know, the train's left the station. We are going to have a business cycle slowdown, and it's going to be okay. All right, Matthew Gardner joins me, the chief economist from Windermere Real Estate. And so recession's happening. It sounds like we shouldn't be too fearful. I guess I was thinking if we can switch gears, because you do specialize in real estate. Um, is Seattle specific? Is a recession similar to real estate in location, location, location? Like, will it impact Seattle differently than Wichita, Kansas? Yeah. Um, this time I'd say no. Has it had an adverse, uh, an overly adverse impact in Seattle beforehand? Yes, it has. When was that? The dot-com recession of 2001. Centrally based in Seattle and, and uh, down the Bay Area. Because we were the epicenter, essentially, for the dot-com bubble forming. Uh, when it burst, we got hit really hard. 
So, yes, that has happened, specifically to Seattle in the past. This next one, though, I think it's going to be, I said, a general economic malaise, economic slowdown. Uh, and so I do not see it specifically affecting Seattle any more or any less than any other market. Potentially, it actually could be less, uh, given the diversity of our employment base here. But touching just briefly on housing and recessions at a national level, a lot of people ask me, OK, well, housing is going to crash again if we have a recession. No, it won't. It did last time around, sure. Why? Because housing was the genesis of the recession. It was, the, it was that exogenous force. So I went back over time to the, the recession of 73 through 75 on to now. Okay, looked at home prices in the country. What happens? Where were they at the start of the recession? Where were they at the end of the recession? And it showed me very clearly, home prices, flatline. Mm. They essentially just stop growing. They actually marginally go up a couple of thousand dollars, but in general, they don't go anywhere. And that's applicable in the mid-70s recession, both of the 80s recession, 1990, 2001. Not applicable, obviously, in the Great Recession, because housing was a, a, the, when, the center when you, of When you said that, I also flashed on, I have clients that'll be sweating over the difference between a 4.25 interest rate and a 4.5 interest rate. And in the 70s and 80s, you would see oh. interest rates of 18, 19%. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, the, the, we peaked out, if you include points, at 20% uh, <laughs> in the 80s. So, uh, like, so they, would, they would all, you know, kill to get under oh, 5%. October 1982, yeah, that, that was the, the, the sixth one, the all-time high when it comes to interest. Now, we've been very used to remarkably low interest rates. Perhaps that's something we'll talk about in a bit. But really, quite frankly, the difference between 4, 2, 4, 5, or whatever, it, negligible. So certainly nothing to be worried about at all. And so when I'm thinking, I guess part of my thinking about it locally when you mentioned goods and services, mm-hmm. probably the largest goods provider the universe has ever seen is, is about a, a stone's throw away from where we're sitting right now in Amazon. And is, as the economy slows down and people might go, oh, maybe I'm not going to log on to Amazon and buy that widget that I've been thinking about. Maybe, maybe we'll skip one of our little subscriptions that we have there. Maybe I'll unsubscribe from that magazine or whatever it is. Um, as that happens writ large, do you see that ripple effect here locally? No. And again, you have to look at, at Amazon. I mean, I, I read their quarterly filings. Uh, obviously, it's a publicly traded company. They make more money on, on AWS, Amazon Web Services, than they do on buying, people buying and selling stuff. That's not going anywhere. Also, it's global. Mm. And so you can see a slowdown in consumption in the US. They'll make it up elsewhere. So uh, and they've also got a massive pot of cash they're sitting <laughs> right. on, an absolutely massive one. Uh, yeah, I mean, could they see a slowdown? Sure. Could their share price uh, drop modestly down from what, a couple of thousand dollars, whatever it is today? Possibly. Again, not the end of the world. Okay. Uh, and so, are they important to our region? Absolutely. Are they becoming increasingly important on the east side of Seattle? Yes. Over time, absolutely. That's going to be the case. My forecast actually is we'll see uh, Amazon occupying over three and a half million square feet of office space in downtown Bellevue by 2023. Uh, and that, I think, could be an underestimate. It's going to do great for the east side. All right. So, I wanted to pivot. I'm sure that you read this story or saw the. Um all the articles on Americans 
in general have reached over a trillion dollars, I think, or a hundred trillion. I think it's 114 trillion dollars in wealth. There's a new these studies that I've been reading about, and we don't need to dive into all of it. But the thing I found most interesting that I wanted you to speak to is they said the bottom 50 percent make up nearly none of the wealth. Like the top 10% have the lion's share, which we can set the politics of that off to the side for the moment. But the caveat was, if, they, if the bottom 50 to 70% were going to make gains, typically it's through real estate, mm-hmm. which I found very interesting. So even as people are listening to this and thinking about the recession with a small r, thinking about, well, I would like to increase my wealth, is most people get fearful and want to contract. Is there kind of opportunity there, in a sense, of interest rates being low? If you are going to build wealth at any time in your life, real estate seems to be the main lever unless you're in that 80th percentile, 90th percentile. Well, actually, you've got top 1%. Um, okay, big question. Um, let's start off with where incomes have gone the last 20 years. They flatlined. We've seen no real income increases in the country in the last 20 years. We're making as much money in, in 2018 as we were making in 1998 hmm. when, you, when you adjust for inflation. So we haven't seen next to nothing there. Where do people make money? There's two essential reasons why. Uh, stock investments and real estate. That's pretty much it. Now, a lot of the country, they're not invested in stocks. haven't got that ability to do. So building up wealth in real estate, we are sat as a nation on over $15 trillion dollars in equity in our homes. One quarter of all homes in America have more than 50% equity. And is that going to continue to grow? Sure it is. But again, if you look at the country as a whole, housing actually goes up by inflation. And it has, I've got numbers that go back to 1900 mm-hmm. that demonstrate that. So, however, not all markets are created equal. Have we benefited here in Seattle in the last 30, 40 years? Very, very much so. Yes. Why here? Well, there's several reasons. Certainly businesses have done very well. We can really go back again to 1903 with Boeing being founded just a a step down the street here. We went where Boeing went. And so as they were growing, we were growing and they were contracting, we were contracting as well. And that was applicable up to the Boeing bus of 72. Uh, So last time, believe it or not, more people left our area than moved in was in 72. Hmm. 73, rather, after the Boeing bus the, the previous year. But we've diversified. From that, at that point in time, little podunk company in, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, right. known as Microsoft, uh, moved out of there, moved up to 45th uh, in the U District. Uh, and they became... They've done pretty well for themselves. Uh, you could say that. <laughs> and so massive growth uh, through the 73-80s. But then you've got uh, Costco, uh, I mean, you've got Amazon, um, Starbucks. Starbucks. I mean, all these homegrown companies that aren't fleeing here, they're staying here. That has created a massive amount of demand for housing products. On top of that, we're surrounded by water and mountains. We have a very limited land mass. So what does that mean to housing? People pay more to live closer to where they need to be, mm-hmm. which is why, let's say, homes on Capitol Hill are five times, or well, more than that, seven times more expensive than homes in Federal Way. Right. So it's a value to our time. And in addition, because of that, we've seen home price growth that well above inflation because of, of lack, economic growth, and lack of new supply, we're not building enough houses, and home price appreciation. So yeah, I'm certainly a big in, in favor uh, of home ownership as a driver, long-term driver of wealth. So what would your, I hesitate to use the word advice, what would your thoughts be to the average person listening to this saying, 
I feel relatively secure in my job. I don't know enough about recessions to know what I don't know. But I'm hearing someone smarter than me tell me it's, it's going to happen but not be the end of the world. What sort of is there, are there practical things we can think about and we can do? And like I'm thinking even in terms of, of real estate, like I'm, I'm looking for opportunities sure. personally yeah. and for clients right. to right. say, like, this is not a, it seems to me not a big enough deal for me to just be like, whoa, 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 I'm not even going to think about it. Like, I looked at a house with a partner yesterday mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, this might be an opportunity because. I, I believe in real estate and I believe in our, our region to right. weather this. So I always say the same thing uh, to anyone who is thinking about getting into the housing market in terms of in buying a home. <clears throat> and that's the fact they need to meet three criteria to have Gardner give the blessing. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, I, I will now allow you to buy a house. One, are you comfortable in your job? Is it secure? You know, not temporary, it's not a startup. Uh, I've seen more people involved in startups which on paper were millionaires one day and then not the next. So are you comfortable in your job, uh, in your position? Uh, do you feel safe and secure in, in that job? Okay, if you meet that criteria, check that box. Number two, are you comfortable with the debt level you're taking on? Are you comfortable with that mortgage payment? Okay, a lot of people back before the recession hit, no. Everyone's on teaser loans. I mean zero down option arms with cash back at closing with weird sure. things that were going on now that's certainly not the case today but are you comfortable with that payment every month it's going to come at you every month together with a uh, owning versus renting you are going to have repairs you are going to have maintenance at some point you might have to have a roof or whatever uh, have you got the ability to take care of those things when it happens if you meet that criteria you check box three box two rather the final box are you comfortable in believing you will live in that house for at least seven years? Hmm. That's, that's my number. I take, I, I take pretty much for a lot of different reasons. If you can meet all those three criteria, covering your job, covering the debt, not looking to flip, going to be around for a few years, then, uh, then you have the gardener blessing to go out and buy a house. If you do not meet any of those criteria, don't. And then what's the, finally, and then I'll see if you have anything else you want to add. People that aren't economists don't understand how the economy works with the capital E. Sure. What's, give us a few pointers on how to think about this. Because we're going to be getting this news drumbeat ad nauseum for the next, at least through the election. We're going to be hearing about this. There's going to be people that are fanning flames of fear. And you're an eminently reasonable person. How should we think about it, not through a political lens or anything, just like just a basic blocking and tackling way to think about this when we hear all these stories? Ignore most of them. Uh, certainly hype is a very big thing in the media. Uh, and you know, bad press sells. Very rarely, when the economy is exploding, doing really well, I get asked on TV or radio or whatever, <laughs> We only get asked to, to comment and to be one of the talking heads when hell, everything's going to hell in a handbasket. Right. Then they want the economist's position or perspective. So there's a lot of spin. So sort out the wheat from the chaff. There's a couple of things I look at, and it probably is a bit too myopic for, for some of your listeners. Everyone's talking about the yield curve and the, and the inversion of the yield curve. What does that mean? That's when the interest rate on short-term bonds becomes higher than long-term bonds. Hmm. And we actually saw that last month. So we actually saw that number invert. 
What does that mean? It means that businesses are less enthusiastic about the future. They're less willing to tie their money up in 10-year treasuries, for example. They don't know what's going to be going on. Why is a yield curve inversion important? It has accurately signified or indicated every recession since the 1960s. So when that inverts for a longer period of time, it actually only inverted briefly a couple of weeks ago, last week actually. Um, but when you hear that mention, that is something to say, huh, if it stays down a negative uh, a number for uh, a month or a couple of months, that pretty much is saying, okay, start the clock because you've got nine to 18 months before you will have a recession. It's act very accurately forecast that. Second one is the unemployment rate, still very low. When you start seeing that tick up, that ticks up above right now. And today we're at what, 4.8? Uh, when that gets up to, sorry, 3.8. When that gets to 4.1, start watching. Start seeing that trending up, that's a concern. But to allay people's fears, in your opinion, not even close to the one in 2008. No. I mean, in aggregate recessions, it was a very, very unusual situation. Um, and I could talk for three hours, but I'd say, watch the big short. Right. You, you'll get it. Um, it. But it was a very, very bizarre situation. Banks were throwing money at anyone with a heartbeat, literally. There was no risk because they were taking all those terrible mortgages, packaging them up, calling them securitized investment vehicles, and selling them to the secondary markets. Now, why would anyone want to buy a bunch of toxic mortgages? They were insured mm-hmm. by a company called AIG. So, um, that's not the case anymore. Is there a housing bubble? No. Not even close to it. Credit quality is remarkably high. Down payments are remarkably high. Uh, everything indicates that even if we, when we do see a recession, again, home prices will follow their historic track of just tapering, leveling off for a period of time, and then start moving up again. So, uh, when we talk about, about slowdowns and housing, I still think housing is still the American dream, uh, and it really is. Unfortunately, however, we are not building enough new housing, which is therefore putting upward price pressure on existing housing stock. Right. And here's the kicker with that. I believe that first-time buyers will buy more homes this year and next year than any other cohort. Hmm. And most of them are going to be, going to be millennials. In the three-county area, King Pierce and Snowbridge County, in the last 12 months, millennials made up 45% of all buyers. Wow. They're massive. But are we building what they can afford and what they want. No, we're not. And we're putting to the high in the market because it's so expensive to develop housing. And so that's a problem. They want to buy, but they're being pushed further and further out into the suburbs, and they hate that. Right. They do not want to become mum and dad. <laughs> they would like to have a three-bedroom townhouse in Columbia City or Georgetown or Green Lake, but the trouble is that those units now trading in that seven to $900,000 price point, a bit richer right. than they would like to, uh, like to spend, rather. So demand is there. Millennial demand is going to be massive going forward. They do want to buy. They are not going to be perma-renters. But the trouble is they're going to have a heck of a time getting onto the housing market. Mortgage rates are going to stay remarkably low. We won't break 4% until sometime by the end of next year, maybe. Hmm. Um, it's going to be a, a long time coming. We're, now, we're down at lows we haven't seen since 2016 today. So financing, again, it's hard to get it because credit quality is that much higher, but it is still, historically speaking, remarkably cheap. So if people want to stay in touch with you or follow you or get the stuff that you're thinking about, how do they do that? Uh, you can certainly uh, track me on, on all social media, on, on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, 
Twitter is Seattle Econ, Facebook is, is MJD Gardner, uh, as is LinkedIn as well. So find me on social media. Uh, my social media people are great at th- pushing my stuff out. Uh, if you are within Windermere, the Windermere blog is a great place to find me as well. And I put out all our quarterly publications on that. So I do a quarterly analysis of all the markets uh, where Windermere has a presence. So across 10 states. Nice. So that goes out. Uh, and send me an email, m.gardner. Okay. And uh, I'll be delighted to, to answer any questions uh, as I'm able to. Well, I appreciate your time today. Thank you. You are always welcome, Ron. Good talking to you. All right, well, that does it. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Matthew Gardner. I hope you learned something. I know I sure did. I feel a little bit better about things actually now than I did just from reading all the uh, major media coverage on this where you're, they're trying to get clickbait, uh, trying to get people to freak out. So if you want more info on Matthew, I put uh, a link to his blog and a lot of his stuff uh, in the show notes. You can also find a more written, uh, robust piece about this on my blog at ronupshaw.com. And then if you need real estate stuff or Ron and Don Nation show stuff, you can find that at ronanddon.com. And so we'll see you next time for a regularly scheduled episode of the Ron and Don Show. 